Hello, and welcome to the Quantum Realm, where we break down the Marvel Cinematic Universe piece by piece in release order. Together, we'll celebrate the stories, moments, and characters that we've come to know and love. My name is Jacob Devlin, and for this podcast, I will be your watcher, your guide to these vast new realities. Hi folks, I'm going to keep this intro short today because I've been so excited to get to this movie on the Quantum Realm. Captain America, The Winter Soldier is one of those movies that I've rewatched over and over and over again, closely and for a little background noise. Yet every time I rewatch it, I catch something new or I see things differently. Today I get to talk about it with my good friend Steve Rogers. That's right, his name is actually Steve Rogers, and he had a lot of things to fun things to say about the first Captain America movie as well. If you haven't listened to that episode, you'll want to go back and hear his personal story. We'll also be getting into spoiler territory for Avengers Endgame, so just be warned if you're not there yet. And without further ado, let's dive right in. Ever since you messaged me last night, I've been racking my brain because you told me that we are recording on a special day. Today's October 22nd for anybody listening, and I've been trying to figure this out ever since you messaged me. So what's the significance behind October 22nd? What's, I, what's it, it won't register for anybody else, but for me, uh, six years ago, when we still had Phoenix Fan Fest in the fall, uh, it was the second to last year of us running Fan Fest, which I believe was just a Saturday, Sunday event. Uh, that Saturday I went out and uh, it was the first day that I had I'd got my brand spanking new uh, white cheap leather Civil War suit, and it was I'd gotten it like two days earlier. And as luck would have it, this thing fit perfectly. I walked in feeling like a million bucks and nobody had nobody had bought anything from this company before. So this was, uh, this suit was just above and beyond what people had at the time. So I walked in, feel, again, feeling like a million bucks and I decided I was gonna do a photo op. I'd never done one of them. And I went and did a photo op with Brett Dalton and Elizabeth Henstridge uh, Agent, uh, Agent Simmons and uh, Agent Ward from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Uh-huh. And as luck would have it, the, as, so we're going through the line and the girl in front of me, had, so she, she was going through and she was, uh, she was college age at this point. She went through and as she's going towards, as she's walking up towards them, they, the two actors are just losing their mind. This girl had been, she'd been battling, I think it was uh, some form of cancer. And her make-a-wish was to be on, was to meet or be on an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's a character in one of the episodes. And they remembered her and they're losing their mind, catching up. She's, she was in remission, she was recovering and life was good. So I get to watch them have that just super excited moment. Uh, and that which led them apologizing to me because they took so long, which gave me this extra long interaction with the two of them. So that was that was first photo op I'd ever done. I got spoiled because of it. Got done with that and was walking down one of the aisles there. And it was just it was showing off this cool new photo I had to a friend. Rounded a corner and stopped for some stopped for the usual photos people want. And a black widow was there. She was walking. We crossed paths. People asked us to stop and take some photos together. Uh, sure, cool. And uh, that one ended up being posted online a while later. We, we both found ourselves tagged in it. Uh, well, it turns out that uh, 
five and a half years later, we are that Black Widow and I ended up engaged. So that's the that's oh, actually, I, have a, I have a photo of the exact second we met. Wow, <laughs> I didn't realize that y'all met that day because I was at that event too. And I remember I, I, I might have even been in the same photo op um, with you. I went to go meet um, Brett Dalton and Elizabeth Hensridge too that same weekend. And that's so cool that that was the day that y'all met and mm -hmm. everything that's happened since then. So that's amazing. It was really kind of cool. So it's kind of fun that I get to go revisit my favorite film on the day where those two characters are closest. Kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, happy anniversary of meeting your fiance. It's really cool. Thank you, thank you. Definitely. Well, greetings to everybody listening and welcome back to the Quantum Realm. Welcome back, Steve. We're talking today about movie number nine in the MCU, which is Captain America, The Winter Soldier. And to start off, I'll just say I'm really excited to talk about this one. I've been looking forward to this ever since the podcast started because it's one of my personal favorites in the Marvel Universe. And I think that if you sit down and you talk to pretty much any Marvel fan and you ask them to rank their top 10 movies, this one almost consistently comes up in that top 10 somewhere. And it's one of the only movies that I think is consistent. There's hardly any polarization behind it. I think it's just one of those movies that everybody consistently seems to speak highly of. And so I'm looking forward to chatting about this one. So Steve, do you remember the first time that you watched this movie? I do. Oh, there's a, there's so much good with it. It was I'd enjoyed First Avenger, but this one just this one is just head I mean just head and shoulders above and beyond that one. Winter Soul. I'm sorry. First Avenger does a good job of telling you. Uh, it kind of gives you an idea of who the character is, like where he came from. But this one really tells you who he is. And there were just there were so many things that popped up in this film that I wasn't expecting. And a whole bunch of, there's a, a number of personal connections I have in this one that just made it that much more fun for me. So this one was back in April 4th, 2014. That was the release day in the United oh. States. So we're coming up on, it's been it's been over eight years now. So um, it's directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. So two brothers who did this one together and it has a 90% score on for Rotten Tomatoes. So it's one of those ones that the critics and the audience seem to agree that they just really love for this one. I think for my memory of this one is I was living in Charlottesville at the time and I was going to graduate school. I didn't have anybody in my graduate program who was really a Marvel fan. And so I didn't have a lot of people to go to these movies with. But this was one that for some reason I just really wanted to see because I, I knew who the Winter Soldier was going to be. I can't remember how I knew his identity. It's probably like from, I want to say the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games gave it away or something like there's some other form of media like told me who the Winter Soldier was going to be. And, and I wanted to see how that was going to play out in this movie and so this was one of those first times that I can remember like just being going to the movies by myself and saying I'm going to watch this anyway and it just exceeded my expectations because I thought the first Avenger was you know it was pretty good you know I left saying you know that was okay and this was one that I sat through and I, I was completely mind blown by the end and ever since this movie I've consistently watched every Marvel movie in the theater, usually on opening weekend when I can. So, so I just, it has a very special spot in my memory, you know, like this is one that, that I really enjoyed watching for the first time. So 
So a couple of fun things that I, I wanted to get into for this one. So Kevin Feige called this one a 1970s political thr thriller disguised as a superhero movie. So a very different feel than anything else that we had seen up to that point. And really anything that we've received from the Marvel Universe since then, it doesn't really have anything else that compares to it at this time. With action sequences, I've talked about this in the podcast before, how action sequences, if they're too long and drawn out, I kind of tune out and they're not interesting to me anymore. But this movie has some of the best action sequences that I can think of. And th there was no moment in this movie where I got bored watching the fights going on or where it felt too slow for me. I think just from start to finish, it really held my attention the whole way through. So we can get into... The, the plot breakdown of this one. So for act one, we are starting off in the Washington, in Washington, D.C. We're on the Washington Mall, and it's the first introduction to Sam Wilson. So he becomes an important character in the Marvel Universe, just a, a standout guy. He's just going for a morning jog through Washington, D.C. And I read a tweet where <laughs> it's really funny if you if you watch this movie through his perspective, like if you watch this as if it's a Sam Wilson movie, he's just trying to have an ordinary day. And then Steve and Natasha came come along and they're like, no. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fair. Right. right? <laughs> so he's just trying to go for a jog through Washington, DC. And Steve Rogers is also going for a, a jog. He's, you know, going around in circles in the Washington Mall. And he passes Sam multiple times and keeps on saying, on your left, on your left. And that's one of those quotable moments from the MCU, on your left, everybody remembers that. Um, and so they, they catch up, they introduce themselves and they'll become a really important friendship and partnership going forward. But um, one cool thing about this scene is the introduction to Steve's culture list. So the list that he keeps of things that he's been trying to keep to catch up with since he got out from under the ice. Um, so I made a list of what, uh, I had to pause this and look at what his culture list was, but we have I Love Lucy, we have The Moon Landing, we have The Berlin Wall, Up and Down, we have Steve Jobs and Apple, we have Disco, we have Thai food, and this sent me down a rabbit hole, and I'll get to that in a minute, <laughs> but um, Star Wars slash Trek, we have Nirvana, we have Rocky and Rocky 2, Rocky II has a, a question mark after it. And then we have Trouble Man soundtrack, which is Marvin Gaye. And this is the one that um, that Sam recommends to Steve and he writes it down in his booklet. So he's been keeping a list of all these things that he wants to catch up with. As I pop in, that list is specific to people watching this in the United States or Canada. Because- Is it different in other places? They, they, they regionalized it everywhere, which is fascinating. Uh, in the UK, it mentions the T uh, the Sherlock TV show, the Beatles, the 1966 World Cup, and Sean Connery. Uh, the bottom of it, they weren't able to edit out because of a hand placement and the way a green screen and digital editing would work. So they left everything from about Thai food down as the same. Uh, <laughs> uh, France hears about Daft Punk and the Fifth Element. Uh, Australia gets Steve Irwin, ACDC. Uh, Tim Tams, uh, let's see, uh, Germany mentions Oktoberfest, Currywurst, and Disco, uh, let's see, Italy has Ferrari's victories in the F1 Grand Prix, but yeah, they, they did a, a very large number of them, uh, 
Russia, the Soviet Union dissolution of 91. So it was, it was really cool to see what everybody else got to see. That's fascinating to me. I had no idea that it was different in other countries um, with what I think is really funny about this. So I, I had this, these questions about why Thai food was on there. And I was like, did Thai food not exist before? <laughs> like, what's this deal with Thai food? And so this sent me down a research rabbit hole about why this would be a big deal for his culture list. And so, so I learned through this that um, with immigration, there were about 5,000 people who came from, to the United States from Thailand in the 1960s. More so in the 70s, we had 44,000 people come in the 70s. And then Bangkok Market opened in the United States in 1972, and that's credited as being one of the first big Thai restaurants. And that kind of started the boom, which got even bigger in the 2000s when the Thai government started to market and export Thai food over to the United States. And so it's become more popular recently, which was fascinating. I thought it was just always a thing that people enjoy. So <laughs> my other thing with this list, so th this is something that, that I find really funny in the MCU. So this is the first time that we get a reference to Star Wars and Marvel, and we get plenty of other ones when Spider-Man comes around. Peter Parker is a big fan of the, the Star Wars movies, right? So what's fascinating to me to think about is these characters sitting down and watching the Star Wars franchise and wondering what when they're watching the prequel trilogy, Nick Fury is one of the Jedi. <laughs> it makes me wonder if in their world, if it ends up something akin to uh, the Schwarzenegger movie, Last Action Hero. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where the kid ends up with a magic ticket and gets pulled into his favorite Schwarzenegger movies. And so he gets pulled in there and he keeps trying to convince Schwarzenegger that they're in a movie, even though there's like there's a, a cartoon, like a cartoon cheetah working in the police station. So they go to a blockbuster and while the blockbuster movie, he point the kid, the kid knows he can prove it because he's going to go grab a Schwarzenegger movie. And he goes to pick up a copy of Terminator 2, and it's got Stallone on the cover. <laughs> so it makes me wonder if, in their version of this, if there's a different actor playing. That's a good question. Yeah, I'd be curious by to that see. By the same logic, Sebastian Stan was in Hot Tub Time Machine, which is referenced in Endgame. That's right. Yeah, I forgot he was in that one. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good question. I wonder. I want to see, uh, like, in... Spider-Man 4, I want to see Peter Parker watching the prequel trilogy and see a different character or a different actor playing Mace Windu. So There you go. Right. <laughs> so, Steve, is there anything that you would add to Steve Rogers' culture list from, from his notebook? Is there anything that you feel like belongs on there? Uh, I'm sure that there's so much on there because people get too hung up on the canon of the one thing they see on a screen. I keep wondering if he is familiar with like the Harry Potter universe. I'm sure that that's one of those things he'd, he'd be fascinated with after waking up. So. Right, I'm, so sure he'd get those. I'm sure those would be a thing. I'm sure uh, Lord of the Rings would be a thing, especially with Bucky's mentioning having read The Hobbit in 1937. That's right. Yeah. So he was so Steve would have Steve wouldn't have been able to read Lord of the Rings before going in the ice. But that's about 10 years off but he would have been, would have at least been familiar with The Hobbit. Yeah, that's fascinating to, to think about that. So um, so I love his culture list. And so just a, a really fun way to remind us that he has been in the ice for a long time. He's still kind of adjusting to the real world after Avengers. There's still a lot of things for him to catch up on. So 
Um, so continuing on with act one. So Natasha comes along and she picks him up, comes to pick up a fossil in quotes, and they have a mission on the Indian Ocean. So they're going with the strike team to work with a hostage situation. So there are shield hostages that are taken um, on a shield vessel by pirates. And so they have to go and free their hostages from um, this, th these pirates, basically. And so they're with the strike team, which also includes Brock Rumlow. And this is one of those scenes where I actually really like the action on here, where um, Steve encounters one of those pirates and they, uh, he like asks him to put his shield away or something like he wants to prove that he can fight without the shield. And I thought that was just a really fantastic fight and just a, a really good sequence overall. That's one of those moments is just so outrageously, uh, the choreography is fantastic. And I love, there's one of my personal connections to the film because the actor who plays Batrock is an old training partner of mine. So, really? yes. So, uh, he's. He's a uh, professional Canadian mixed martial artist, a uh, fellow by the name of George St. Pierre. And he's come down the he's come down to the United States and I've had the opportunity to train with him numerous times. I didn't realize he was taking the role in this film. And so I'm sitting there as he pops up on screen. I'm having no way. I've been here before. <laughs> this is pretty cool. But oh the, the idea that Steve's got Steve's got this guy is he's winning this. And then he's just going to have this ego test of, you know what, I'll take off my helmet. Never mind the fact there's gunfire going on everywhere. I'm going to mm -hmm. take off my helmet and strap up my shield for this moment of, you know, having to macho prove myself. I've never been a huge fan of that, even though it gave us this great fight scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, what a fascinating tid tidbit that you you knew the guy who played Batra. It's really cool. <laughs> So. He's, a, he's, an, he's an incredible human being. I'm geeking out about this. That's fascinating information. So <laughs> amazing. Um, so this was a really fun scene. And we find out later that Natasha has had a different mission the whole time. So she was actually supposed to be extracting data from the computers on the ship. And so um, Nick Fury has kind of split them up into different missions. They're on the same place. They're kind of compartmentalizing or consolidating. I can't remember the word that he uses for this. But um, but Steve goes and confronts Nick Fury, and he's taken to the Triskelion, or under the Triskelion, so that's the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, and he learns all about Project Insight, which is one of the big things in this movie. So he sees that three helicarriers are linked to different spy satellites and tons and tons of guns with the intent of eliminating threats before they happen. Um, one fun thing about this is that we learn that Tony, Tony Stark provided some insight for this. And later on in this movie, he's actually going to be targeted at Avengers Tower when the guns take aim. So that's just one of those interesting bits of irony in this movie. But with the, 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 com the, the relation there, when he's talking about how, yeah, Stark uh, Star got a look at it, they were referring specifically to the repulsor engines that keep those helicarriers in the air. Because oh. in Avengers, in, in Avengers 2012, Stark was literally in that turbine trying to restart it to keep the helicarrier from crashing. So when they say he took a look at it, they literally mean he took a look at it. Oh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Other, the other kind of cool fun fact there in that scene when they're going down the elevator and Nick Fury is telling the story about, uh, telling the story about his grandfather and the 22 and his 
in his lunch bag of uh, tip money from working an elevator. That's actually a true story. It's Samuel L. Jackson's grandfather. Oh, it's a, wow. Yep, that is, that's an, it's a true story about Samuel L. Jackson's grandfather that he worked into the elevator conversation. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, man, I'm just learning all kinds of cool things today. So, um, yeah, so it, I think that's also the same scene where he talks about the last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. Um, and Which so <laughs> let down. Uh, that, that, this is exactly why this is the start of the downhill slide. The actual way that he loses an eye is kind of disappointing when you think of this. Right, scene. it's terrible. There's, there's this huge buildup to like how, how it could have happened. And it's just bad. So, so Steve is learning about Project Insight, and he is not a fan of this. So we kind of see this conflict of ideologies here, where Fury seems to believe that it's a necessary evil and that we have to have this natural distrust, I guess, especially since you know the world has become a different place ever since the Avengers. We have aliens now. We have gods. We're not prepared for all of the different threats here. And so he sees Project Insight necessary evil to be a little bit ahead of everything and steve makes a really great quote about this isn't freedom this is fear and i think that's just one of my favorite quotes in the movie about how this is something totally different like this isn't what we stand for to that point there's a reviewer from entertainment weekly who wrote that the theme of this movie is that you can't trust anyone in a society that wants to control everyone and I think that was a really nice way to, to summarize the theme of this movie and just the, you know, because this theme keeps on coming back of, you know, trust and distrust and Nick Fury seems to have um, no trust toward anybody whatsoever. And he is kind of fueling into this problem, of, you know, the, the way that they go about managing this distrust is very problematic for, for the freedom of America. So um, because very minority reportish. Definitely. <laughs> Minority report. Yeah. So um, so a little bit after this, Steve goes and revisits his past. He goes to the Smithsonian. I, I really love this scene where he's walking around, you know, he's um, kind of incognito. You know, you can still tell that it's him. You know, a kid, you know, is able to, to point him out and notice him. Um, but but he's kind of reflecting on the friendship that he had with Bucky. He goes and visits Peggy, Peggy Carter. And so the audience gets this nice refresher of everything that was important from the first movie and his relationships and his history. Um, and the deleted scene here kills me. I don't think I, I've seen a lot of the deleted scenes. What's the deleted scene that you're, you're talking about? So in, in the Smithsonian, there is a very short interview with Peggy Carter. Mm -hmm. There is an extended version of that interview that was made. And so the Russo's claim was that... Uh, Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Endgame, one, you're years behind, get with the program. <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume you have watched Endgame. Uh, the, Steve's finale with Peggy Carter at the end of Endgame is nonsense. And uh, the, the Russos claim, oh, we planned this the whole time. This has been his arc. This is where he was supposed to end. And that is a bold-faced lie, 110%. <laughs> Because the interview, they have an extended interview that Peggy Carter gives where she, uh, they ask her about her time working with Cap and she's trying to separate the she's trying to separate a little bit her personal relationship with Steve versus uh, her working with Captain America. And they know and they delve into the personal side a little bit. 
she specifically mentions a very tough a very tough winter and how a bunch of soldiers were pinned down and how she uh, she stumbles over where Steve I mean Captain Rogers uh, went and single-handedly saved this group of men one of which who would become my husband uh-huh. specifically states she married someone else and was had tears in her eyes saying even after he was gone here he was still affecting my life so which means if the Russo's claim is true, then Steve Rogers is a time traveling home wrecker, and Mama Rogers raised me better than that. So <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that is a fair critique. Um, the, to that point, so this is around the time that ABC or Marvel TV under you know ABC Studios that really started to boom, and so we got Agent Carter right around this time. We got Agents of Shield. Um, and they were, we got this whole campaign. I remember watching ABC and seeing these commercials about how everything is connected. Mm-hmm. And and for a while, it really seemed to be, it seemed to follow a really nice canon for a couple of years uh, because, week, oh, go for it, please. This week, is that this particular week, uh, so when I say this week, I mean the release week of Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. If you were watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time, they were headed to the Triskelion. Mm-hmm. So they were headed to the Triskelion as the events of the Winter Soldier ended up going down and the following week. So if you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on its release date, the episode before, before the release of Winter Soldier and the episode right after would tie in and flow perfectly where, the, where they are literally de- on the TV show dealing with that same raid on that building yeah so that was something that i really enjoyed i I wasn't watching it very closely at the time but when i when i watch agents of shield i I think i caught up a couple years later and um was able to kind of pick out like oh okay this is before this is after like there's a very clear divide and you can see where that happens and how this movie really fuels everything there and so um so i loved how they were able to integrate everything from Marvel TV. Now, I think there's a lot of debate about how how much of this is actually canon because later on in seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it kind of seems like they're not really following Marvel Studios movies. <laughs> so, um, right. I think I what- the reverse where the, the TV series always gave a nod, the TV series always give a nod to the movies. The movies acted like the TV series didn't even exist. Uh, the beginning of Age of Ultron doesn't make any sense without Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And same with the, the appearance of the helicarrier at the end of Age of Ultron is entirely dependent on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And after that, they just, com- I mean, they'd, they'd been disconnected ever since Winter Soldier, but the TV series kept trying to make itself relevant to the movies, but the movies just ignored their existence. And I remember seeing all of these forums about, you know, people kept on wishing that some of the agents would show up for, you know, Infinity War, you know, that they would, they would acknowledge the existence of these agents in some way, because there were a lot of really great actors on that show. Um, <laughs> absolutely. And 
I think that same studio, so ABC Studios was also the Defender saga too. So I was following Daredevil and Jessica Jones and everything that tied into the Avengers later. And they would make really, they, they were pretty vague references, but sometimes they'd be a little bit more overt. You know, they would reference the Battle of New York a couple of times. They talk about the big green guy. They talk about, I think they mentioned Captain America once or twice in Daredevil. Yeah, Jessica Jones refers to him like, what, the flag waver? No, I'm not like him. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm excited to see, you know, kind of how they work that back in at this point, because, you know, we have Daredevil now, and um, we'll, we'll just see, you know, kind of how how much the, the previous iteration of him, you know, tied into this and what what's still relevant from from ABC TV. Uh, one, one question that I had, though, because I didn't watch really any of Agent Carter, and so did that show ever referred to you know her life with another man or did it acknowledge that she had moved on from from uh, steve or in in one of the episodes uh start see one of the episodes howard stark had a weapon that he was trying to reclaim if something got lost and it's supposed to it's like supposed to be an explosive or something and finally peggy discovers howard was lying to her it's the last remaining sample of Steve Rogers' blood. And she realizes that could be used to synthesize more super soldiers, which were going to be used for uh, wrong purposes. And so she she has this vial and she stands over, stands over the bridge, pours it into a river with tears in her eyes saying goodbye. And mm -hmm. there are there's an unnecessary kind of forced love triangle in season two. The first season of Agent Carter was fantastic. The second season has some great moments, but it gets a little wonky. And there, there was a forced love triangle that shouldn't have been there. <laughs> one of the one of the agents that she's working with is a disabled veteran, and she and this guy end up. You can you can tell there's going to be something there. They never specifically state that's who it is. Um, but headcanon wise, that's who it was going to be. It, ju it just kind of logically makes sense. But there are too many people that were just in love with that last second image of uh, Peggy and Steve at the end of Endgame, despite the fact she stated she remarried. There, are Some people do some very heavy mental gymnastics to get around that. <laughs> yeah, it's... Very convoluted to me. <laughs> yeah, it, like I said, Endgame is that thing where it's it's a bunch of pretty images, but the more you stare at it, the more it just is wrong. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I can't wait to it, it was talk a love, more about Endgame that. was a love letter to fans, giving people that image of everything they needed to see before they shut down shop. <laughs> I, I love Endgame, but, but I totally see your critiques too, especially about the, the Steve and Peggy thing. That's one of those things that I... I had to, I think that was co cognitive dissonance for me. Like I saw it, I was like, okay, like I'm going to tell myself I like this, but, but I really expected better from him. <laughs> so. there, yeah. There's so much good. I mean, I mean, from, from literally this film going forward, from this point forward, his friendship with, I mean, his, we discover that Bucky, uh, that his best friend is still alive. And this is, his safety is the most important thing in the whole wide world. And then he's just going to nope out of that. I don't think so. So this is a good time to, to get back into some of the other pieces of the movie. So yes. the next thing is Alexander Pierce. 
So he's the Secretary of Internal Security in, in Shield. And so Fury goes to him and asks him to delay Project Insight because he was unable to access Natasha's data. He's been locked out of it and can't do any overrides or anything. And so, um, so Alexander Pierce, uh, Robert Redford did a, a fantastic job playing this guy. Um, just a very nefarious kind of guy, but you don't get that from him right away. It's, it's just a really nice build up for him. So there's that scene with him, and then Fury is actually ambushed on the way to meet with Maria Hill later. So almost the very next scene, he um, is attacked, and it's a, a big chase, big action sequence. Again, this is one that I really actually enjoyed. Um, and the Winter Soldier first appears at the end of this scene and blows up Fury's vehicle. And his first appearance as the Winter Soldier is, is really... Just, it's one of those things that, that kind of lingers with you. And I remember reading an interview with, I can't remember if it was the Russo brothers or with Kevin Feige, but um, they made a quote about how when you see that, when you, when you first see the Winter Soldier, you're supposed to get almost like these Darth Vader vibes from him. Like he's supposed to be um, like, this is a really big deal. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I really felt that the first time, you know, I, I think they kind of water Bucky down over the, over the years, but but I love this first appearance as the Winter Soldier. So, so he blows up Fury's vehicle and he's able to get away. But when we cut back to Steve's apartment, Fury's in there and he has the place is bugged. He has all of these ways of warning Steve that the place is bugged. He concocts some, some lie for why he's staying there. Um, and he tells Steve that Shield has been compromised and not to trust anybody. And then he gives Steve the data. At that point, Fury is shot, and Steve goes after the Winter Soldier. So he he finds the assassin. There's a really nice you know kind of chase through the hallways up on the rooftops. Um, the Winter Soldier actually gets away after that, and then Fury appears to die on the operating table on the next scene. So um, first time I watched that, I was really shocked. I was like, they're just gonna kill Nick Fury. And I was like, that's wild, but <laughs> we know better now. So. In the second act, Steve is then summoned to Alexander Pierce's office with the intent to make him share the data with, with Pierce. That's kind of the, the reason he's there. Um, Steve won't do that. And there's kind of this nefarious warning from Pierce, like, I'm going to find out who killed Nick Fury and nobody is going to get in my way. And, you know, he's, he's very good at, at acting in this, like kind of covering up his, his um, ulterior motives there. Redford but. is just such a good spy actor. If you've ever, uh, the film he did with Brad Pitt's spy game, the same thing. You just don't know which way he's going at any point in time. He's just so good at it. Spy game. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I want to see that. So um, I also wrote down Last Action Hero when you were talking about that because I've never <laughs> seen that. <laughs> so. So the next scene is that infamous elevator scene that everybody knows and loves, where he's, he has to escape from the Triskelion because um, Rumlow and all of the strike folks into the elevator with him, and Steve notices that there's something off, and he tells them, before we get started, does anybody want to get off? And they have that epic in the elevator, where at one point Steve is only able to use one hand and um it's it's just a really good fight like I, I love this scene it's one of my favorites in the movie um but did you have any thoughts about that elevator scene it has made getting into elevators in that stealth suit at every convention more fun than it has any right being 
<laughs> well, I imagine uh, that's that's funny. <laughs> Staying with a uh, in Las Vegas, going to the uh, Avengers Scientific Training and Tactical Intelligence Operatives Network, where all the uh, say say. It's an Avengers Science Museum set as kind of a shield base. And everyone going through is a training agent. And every time I go through, I get to have the same interaction with the employees as we hop in the elevator. <laughs> that sounds like fun. That's a blast. <laughs> I just, it's such a great scene. And uh, I get the one tweak they made there, uh, the, the Quinjet that he kind of faces off with on his way out on the motorcycle. The pilot of that Quinjet was originally supposed to be Hawkeye. Oh, really? They were, they were going to put him in there because he's he should be at the S.H.I.E.L.D. compound, too, as an agent. They were going to leave him there and have them kind of have an eye to eye. And then Clint changes his aim at the last second because he's not going to gun down Cap. Wow. That would have been really cool to see. I did hear that Jeremy Renner was supposed to be in this movie, but had filming conflicts, I think. Right. Um, yeah, but I didn't know that that was the role that he was going to take. That would have been really, really interesting to see that happen. Um, so, so just a really great escape. The, the motorcycle piece, the elevator piece, everything about this just kept me on the edge of my seat. I still love to watch this today. Um, but so, so that's how we understand that Steve has been branded a fugitive and will be pursued by strike for the rest of the movie. And so... Um, so he goes to Natasha. He doesn't know if he can trust Natasha at this point or who he can trust. And he learns that she has encountered the Winter Soldier before. And um, few believe that he is, exists. The, those who do, they, they call him the Winter Soldier. Um, but he's basically a ghost. There's no records about, about him anywhere. Nobody really knows much about this guy. Um, and trace the data there that's a really fun scene you know coming through the mall and the, the apple store and all the all these places trying to to get away from strike who is hot on their tail <clears throat> and they they managed to trace the data to an abandoned shield bunker in new jersey and that's where they discovered the preserved consciousness of dr zola from the first movie and he's in this supercomputer and um, so that's a fun like sci-fi twist to this movie because this one feels very grounded, just very, you know, like earthly, but then we have this preserved consciousness of Dr. Zola, like able to fully interact with them. And I think I always thought that was so fun. <laughs> so um but we learned that what Zola reform. Oh, yes, please go for it. What I find interesting there is on the way through, uh it's a it's a subtle little bit with Natasha. But as they start, as they as they find the start of that bunker, she looks at the wall and she sees the picture of Stark and a picture of Agent Carter. And he she kind of probes asking, uh, hey, so who's she? She knows full well who if you tell me that agent of shield, that current shield agent, Natasha <laughs> Romanov doesn't know who Peggy Carter is. Peggy was probably part of her recruitment at the time. So if you're telling me she didn't know who that was, I'm not mm -hmm. buying that. So she's just probing Steve to get a feel on what are your feelings for her? What's going on there? Oh, yeah. This is another recurring theme in the movie where he she keeps trying to set him up with different people with, uh -huh. with the, the nurse in quotes <laughs> who lives next door and all these different things. Mm -hmm. um, 
that, that was really fun. And so, so the preserved consciousness of Dr. Zola we, tells us that he reformed Hydra within SHIELD's organization and that it's been kind of festering there for, for years. And that the idea is they're kind of sacrificing world freedom to gain security. So they're basically control freaks and they're, they're making these promises that they're going to make everything secure, but people are kind of giving up their security in exchange for this. Um, so, so that's kind of the big revelation that feeds again into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and kind of affects the Marvel Universe from here on because we, we learn that we can't really trust S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore and they, they've been such a big deal leading up to this moment. And so, um, so Hydra has been kind of growing within their ranks the whole time. Um, so, so Pierce files, fires a missile at this bunker and Natasha survived thanks to the shield. They're able to kind of put themselves in the, the bunker. And around this time, it's basically confirmed that Alexander Pierce is Hydra's leader within Shield. And he's been working with the Winter Soldier. So there's the scene where we we find the Winter Soldier chilling in Pierce's kitchen. Um, Pierce kills his maid because she sees the Winter Soldier in there. And so lots of mustache twirling going on there. The glass um, of milk is an interesting philosophical debate. How so? <laughs> so if you see, if you see it, he specifically looks over at Bucky and asks him if he'd like some. Bucky isn't capable, like with the, with the mind control going on, he's not capable of making his own decisions. He pours this tiny, impossibly small glass of milk for no <laughs> reason other than the fact to ask someone who is incapable of expressing his own personal will if he'd like something. There's just something kind of deviously evil about that. That is really evil. <laughs> I didn't but think about I, that. It feels like I'm reading too much into a glass of milk, but that's just kind of <laughs> wrong. He's, he's just kind of toying with the fact that you have no free will and you can't express it. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, uh, I'm going to look at that scene totally differently from now on. <laughs> You're so, welcome. Oh my goodness. So, so at this point, Steve and Natasha go to Lilo at Sam Wilson's place. They know that pretty much nowhere is safe. And so they, they find Sam Wilson from the beginning of the movie and they Lilo at his place. Um, the three of them team up together and they decide to go and interview Jasper Sitwell. So he um, was one of the, the people who was a hostage at the, you know, the, the shield ship. And they, they realized like, he probably knows more than he's letting on. And so, so we start to get these insights of all these different people who are supposed to be shield, but they've actually been revealed as Hydra all along. So Jasper Sitwell is one of them. Also Senator Stern from Iron Man 2, the, the one who put Tony Stark on trial, um, he's also revealed as Hydra. So all of these little, you know, all these faces are coming back and being revealed as people that we couldn't trust all along. So, which is um, interesting to sit well in the comics is always, always the like ultimate do-gooder amongst shields. So to flip it and make him a secret Hydra plant is just so good. Absolutely. Nobody would have that coming. So, <laughs> um, and so they interrogate him. They interrogate so well, so well on the roof. And that's just a really interesting scene where they, they have Natasha kind of kick him off. And then Sam comes back in his Falcon suit. We see the Falcon suit for the first time. He flies him back up. And we get all this new information. And we understand that Zola's algorithm is meant to help shield slash Hydra eliminate people who we 
will become threats in the future, and he names Bruce Banner. He also names Stephen Strange, who hasn't been introduced yet, but that was a fun... Uh, I knew who Doctor Strange was at this point when I was watching the movie, so I had this kind of giddy moment of like, ooh, are they going to do Doctor Strange soon? And so, so that was really fun to see. Because he's not the sorcerer. He's not a magician at this point. He's just a doctor. Yeah, so, so how would the algorithm have known that he would become well, a threat? Well, was, there some, was there something he was going to, my, my thought is, is there something he was going to do as a physician that got him on this list? Because there's no way he could have predicted that he was going to become a sorcerer. Right, yeah, because even the, um, gosh, what's the, the ancient one didn't even know. She she kept turning him away, so so nobody really? predicted that, so. There's something about the algorithm, so it had to be something as, something in the medical field made him, uh, made him a target, which I find interesting. That is really interesting, yeah, so. Um, so then there's kind of this ambush on the road. We get another scene with the Winter Soldier attacking them. Um, and this time at the end of the, the fight, Steve unmasks him. And that's where we get the reveal that the assassin is Bucky Barnes. So his friend that he long believed to be dead is the, the Winter Soldier. And so, so this obviously kind of messes with him a little bit. Um, and almost a couple minutes later, we find out that Nick Fury has been alive all along, too. He faked his death earlier in the movie with, I understand this was a, a serum developed by Bruce Banner, which I think is really cool. So another another tie there. Um, and so we, we get a scene of Bucky's brainwashing in action with Pierce kind of pulling the strings, just being, you know, this is just another really evil scene. Like, he's just so horrible to Bucky. So... Um, and then how, how did you feel about the, the reveal of, of Bucky, by the way? I'm sure you already knew from the comics and such, but, but how did they, they pull that off was, for you? It was great, but I, I was busy basking in how much I, out of sheer personal bias, how much I absolutely love that fight scene there. Despite <laughs> the fact that when you rewatch it, they've clipped all of it so badly. It had potential to be just, it had potential to just be absolutely gorgeous. And mm -hmm. there are so many clips where your brain fills in the blank instead of letting just the, and it, it's the, it's the lifelong wrestler and martial artist and meet its bias here. But there are so many just beautiful actions that are taking place. that get clipped right in the middle and you never get to see, you never get to see the actual thing happen. So my, my inner wrestler self's kind of biased because there's this amazing back arch throw and this great hip throw. There are two things I hit non-stop so it's kind of fun getting to see something i do on the screen there uh so mm -hmm. i was i was geeking out over that i've got you know, friends i'm watching it with friends i'm watching with are like you know tapping me and laughing over that big old back arch because that's something i made a career out of uh but <laughs> seeing the reveal there was just it was just even knowing it's coming it was one well, to use the darth vaderism uh, you you know that Darth Vader is Luke's father, but you're still geeked out every time you see it anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this ever loses its power. I've, right. I've watched this movie so many times over and over again, and I just love that moment where he realizes, like, oh, man, like Bucky's the Winter Soldier. Um, and I don't know much about the Winter Soldier's costume in the comic book, especially the earlier one. But there was somebody who pointed out to me that the way that... Steve and Bucky's 
masks are they're almost like foils of each other because yeah, they're, they're, they're close to being reverse yeah which i think is really cool so you see like the the top half of bucky's face and the lower half of steve's face which i think is really interesting so um so see so yeah, i would agree that this this fight probably isn't this is probably the least memorable of all the different fights but i love the reveal at the end i love you know kind of what it leads up to um and so so we get to maria hill takes the fury the trio to go see fury and we find out that he's alive um and then fury and hill make a plan to neutralize project inside so the idea is that they're going to replace the chips that have been designed to kill all of the millions of threats that it's identified so they make this fund and neutralize it and then steve says he pretty much wants to dismantle everything from this point no more shield no more hydra it all goes because he's realized that at this point you can't really trust these institutions and so um and i was surprised by how no you know now that i think of it, i'm not that surprised but how, how fury he buys into this he agrees to this he's like yeah you know that makes sense and so um, so that leads us into act three. So Steve needs to go get his uniform. He goes to get his old uniform from the Smithsonian. It's not his old uniform. Oh, so it's not? It is not the uniform from the Winter Soldier. I'm sorry, from First Avenger. So is it there, a, there, there a replica then? Like a... and, at, and at first it was, I had that brief second, was this a continuity error? So it was, <laughs> a, was but it's, a, it's, it's one of those moments where realizing the Russos, which is again why Endgame kills me, because they have such incredible attention to detail on some of these things, and do things that unless you're unless you're really watching it, you're not going to notice it, and they don't have to point it out. But if you're going to pull somebody frozen out of the ice, that suit's been underwater in salt water for seventy years. You've got to <laughs> resuscitate him, so you got to cut him out of that suit. How much of that original suit was actually usable? Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> when you look at it, the design, the, the, uh, especially the leather work, like the, uh, like the belt and everything, it is not the same belt. The pouches are drastically different, but on the, the body of the suit itself, it has an extra red stripe down the middle that is not one of the two straps. So there are some, there's some definite design changes to it. So it's a replica they put on to the mannequin in the Smithsonian. Ah, okay. Interesting. So, so that's the suit that Steve goes to grab from the Smithsonian, and Stanley is the guard. So, so he has this cool little line about how he's going to get fired because the suit's gone. So. Um, and Steve goes and he calls out Pierce at the shield base and he broadcasts Hydra's deeds to, to everybody at the Triskelion and this sows doubt among all of the, the loyals and it delays the launch of Project Insight. So, so that's a really good scene. He makes this rousing speech. He's his thesis. Everybody loves that. So um, then Natasha has her own kind of part of this plan where she goes to infiltrate Pierce's office and she is disguised as the councilwoman. So the council has been in this movie. I forgot to mention them from the Avengers, but she wears her disguise for the first time. And I just love this technology that she has where she can like make a whole new face and like she, <laughs> like they, that comes back in Black Widow later, but, but I love that whole like 
face changing thing. So makes you wonder if that exists like somewhere in the government right now. <laughs> it works so much better than the bad rubber masks of Mission Impossible 2. So absolutely. <laughs> so so that's how she's able to infiltrate Pierce's office. Um, and then Steve and Sam are going to work with the carriers. So they're going to be going and replacing the chips. They're able to do two fairly easily. But on the third, Bucky is up and he disables Sam's suit, kind of rips the, the wings off and sends them back to deal with Rumlow. Um, and that's where Bucky and, and Steve have their massive brawl. So that's kind of going to delay the the plan up on the third helicarrier so so that's another really good fight um up in up in the sky you know they're they're ready to um to to fight up there and there's there's a couple of bits that are hitting there kind of fun as the uh as the helicarriers are firing up and you see all the uh you see the computers start creating their list of everyone who needs to be taken out mm -hmm. there are so many fun names on that list it's ridiculous uh, there is a diehard Patriot, uh, uh, I know Chris Evans is a diehard Patriots fan, but there must be somebody else in there who <laughs> had a little bit of fun with it. As you start looking at a bunch of the names on there, and they are slight tweaks on the names of the 2014 New England Patriots. So, <laughs> uh, Thomas Brody instead of Tom Brady. Uh <laughs> See, Dan, there's like a Daniel Amandon instead of Amendola. Uh, there's an Adelman instead of an Edelman. There's a whole bunch of those. And uh, the other name I got a kick out of on there was, uh, what was it? Uh, it was the name of, it's, I think it's Aaron Cross, which is the name of Jeremy Renner's character in The Bourne Legacy. Oh, which wow. Is, which is the film that he was that he had the conflict with, where he couldn't film this. Wow, that's really cool. So, that's part of the fun about talking about these movies with other folks because I'm not really a big football fan, and so I never would have known that. I never would have made those connections. Um, I did notice that they target the White House at one point, right? They mm -hmm. they target the president. President Ellis was on the list. Mm -hmm. And then Tony Stark was one of the people. He's like in Stark Tower, and they target that. But I did. I think they did a really good job of kind of building that ticking clock. You know, you see all the guns take aim. You see the the names lighting up. The um, oh, so good. Yeah, getting ready to take out millions of people all across the globe. And so, um, but at the very last second, then Steve manages to trade the chip, fixes to get the chip in there to turn the guns. It turns the guns back on the helicarriers instead of the original targets. Um, the problem with this is that Steve and Buck are still on one of the vessels, and so he's basically agreeing to sacrifice himself for, for this. And so, um, so Fury shoots Pierce. There's that whole drama going on back at the Triskelion. So, um, so he, he shoots Pierce before the helicarrier crashes into the building. And around this time, he and Natasha have leaked information about the Hydra breach to the public. So, um, so that's kind of the political aspect of, of this fight. You know, they're they're trying to expose all of Hydra's deeds to everybody. Um, and in this whole crash, and you know everything that's going on with the helicarriers, Steve is thrown into the the river, the Potomac River. Um, and then Bucky pulls him out and leaves him on the ground. So I think that's it's a really nice reverse because there's a moment where Bucky's trapped and then 
Steve has to like lift the the metal off of him. He he saves Bucky, and then a few minutes later he gets saved from the river. So um, so good stuff there. So that friendship is still there, and it's still a two way thing. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, and I just love how, you know, they, they sow the seeds the whole time, you know, they, they don't make it um, so that Bucky like immediately flips a switch and knows who Steve is, but you see him, you know, kind of getting these seeds of recognition the whole time where you know, he, he has these like little moments where it's like, I, I know who that is, like that person knows me and like, why do we know each other? And um, so I love that it's a slow build. I love a slow build in the movie. So, so um so then the call back to the building, uh, to the beginning is um, Steve is, you know, in the hospital. Sam is, you know, sitting by him. He has that Trouble Man soundtrack playing. And when Steve wakes up, he says, on your left again. And so, um, so that continued friendship with, with Sam building up. Um, we see that Rumlow has been severely burned. He hasn't been killed in all of this, but he's been severely burned and he's being taken to the hospital, which sets up his next appearance. Um, <clears throat> Natasha is at a hearing with the Department of Defense, and she just has a really good moment with them, and she, uh, just insisting that the, the Avengers are still the best to defend the world. So um, Nick Fury goes on the run. He's still presumed dead by public, so he's you know kind of embracing that. He's using that as an opportunity, and he, and he flees. He's kind of done with, with S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point. The fun um, little, uh, the fun Easter egg on the uh, headstone there. If you're a Pulp Fiction fan, the uh, the inscription on his gravestone is the Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, which is the same line that he that his character Jules repeats before shooting people in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I did not even think about that. I've seen that movie once, and so I. I... I remember it now that you bring it up, but um, but I never would have made that connection. That's that's so cool. So, and so many Easter eggs in this movie, like not even well, just it's, it's, with them. it's fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, um, Stephen and Sam make a plan to go look for Bucky, and so they're that's kind of going to be their next thing. Is they're going to go try to to get Bucky back. They know that he's still his mind is still in there. Um, but Natasha warns him that he might not want to go pull on that thread. So, so I just really love this, this build up there. Like that's, it's not going to be all fine and dandy when you find him, find him. So, um, that's pretty much where we cut to our credits, but we have to talk about the credit scenes because I, I love these moments. So the mid credit scene was directed by Joss Whedon, who did Age of Ultron. And I remember people cheering when they when they saw the reveal here because we get our intro to Wanda and Pietro Maximoff and they're referred to as miracles here because they can't call them mutants yet right um but they are basically being experimented on by Baron Wolfgang von Strucker and we just cut to the the twins and Pietro is kind of losing his mind you know running around and um he has super speed and then we see Wanda she's levitating some blocks and then it, it almost seems like a, a horror movie setup, but I just remember like as soon as that, um, as soon as the scene, you know, cut to black, there was just this massive applause through the theater. Like everybody knows that the Scarlet Witch is coming. So, so I was really excited. You could tell, you could tell who was the diehard fan there. It was like, if you knew what you were looking at, you knew what you were looking at. Yes. <laughs> and and, and I, I was cheering, had a friend next to him going, what is that? <laughs> 
<laughs> right? <laughs> so Why I think are we losing our minds. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first time that I saw the movie like early enough that, you know, there was still a really good crowd and that, so I think this is the first time that I watched a movie that had this kind of applause in one of the credit scenes. And so I just remember like, this is probably why this movie like cemented my my fandom. Like from this point on, I went to go see all of them like on opening weekend because there's just- oh, that, energy. That, that opening night energy or that first two, like that first couple of day energy is just, if you could put it in a bottle, I would buy all of it. Oh yeah, I would too. <laughs> it makes all the difference when you're watching these for the first time. So, so, so excellent introduction to Wanda and Pietro, and then the the post post credits is when Bucky goes to visit his memorial at the Smithsonian. So he's still trying to dig up his past, and um, so that's kind of where we live. We leave his character, but man, what a fun time reliving this movie. And all of the the big moments with this. And so, um, do you have a favorite part of this movie, or a least favorite part? Or uh, that's so hard to pick. Is it's just it's just one it's one good piece after another. Uh, my legitimate my only beef with it is at the beginning with uh, on the you know, on the Lumerian star, which actually is a fun uh, that little mention of uh, Lumeria. Uh, just I will nod to it, uh, but just kills me. The just the random. I'm going to. I have a, have an absolute advantage. I'm going to stop and have this macho testosterone show. Just <laughs> kills me. So, yeah. When you put it that way, it is out of character for him. So. Right. Yeah, that's true. And then he turns around. Yeah, for someone who's going to do that, and then turn around and get on Natasha for endangering things. So. Yeah, that scene never happened. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So um, so I agree with you, what you said at the beginning about this movie really kind of develops his character and who he is, what he stands for. And we also get a lot of great characterization with Natasha. We get a great introduction to Sam Wilson, who would go on for a while. And we get um, Bucky, you know, kind of, you know, he, he has his moments, but but I think the audience just really falls in love with you know Bucky's plight here, and we we come to root for him, and and the the friendship that he has with Steve too, and so just so many really good things going on in this movie, and and it sets up a lot of good things to come too. So, yes. Um, do you have any closing thoughts about this movie or anything else we didn't add already? Oh, what shoot? What haven't we covered? Uh, <laughs> so many random things we found in there. Nothing I can think of off the top of my head. It was just, it was a lot of fun getting to revisit all this. But it was a lot of fun revisiting this one with you. I learned so many new things and I have new movies to go watch. So <laughs> I look forward to this. So excellent. The next movie takes another big turn in the MCU and brings a total shift in tone. It took a major risk by shifting things, going fully cosmic, and frankly, kind of weird. And honestly, that's why I love it. We'll see you next time for a look at movie number 10, Guardians of the Galaxy. The Quantum Realm has no affiliation with Marvel Studios or any other branch of Marvel Entertainment. The opinions expressed by the participants are all theirs and do not reflect any companies or organizations they're connected to. Thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, be well. Thank you.